0: Santa Paula, working on The Intervention. If you heard last week's uh, episode, you heard something about that. Um, And today, we are here in my home with Jeffrey McIntyre. Welcome, Jeffrey.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to see you. Thank you.
0: And Jeffrey is, uh, among other things, a prop master. Is
1: that the Um, right term? uh, No, actually, I um, am a shopper. A shopper? (laughs) Technically right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, great. So I I shop for uh, the set decorator on a film or a TV show, and I also shop for prop masters.
0: Uh Oh, I see. So what is the difference between a prop master and a shopper? And is that the actual technical term, shopper?
1: You could also be called a buyer. A buyer? Yeah. Um, Well, a prop master is generally the head of their department, and then there's usually an assistant prop master who's on set. And uh, various other assistants, depending on how big the budget and how large the show. Um, and then, depending again upon the budget, etc., then they might have a buyer or a shopper to help find all the millions of things you have to find, usually at the last minute.
0: Really? Yeah. So, um, is it the kind of thing where they're about to shoot and they're all of a sudden like, we need, we need a, a, a big uh, smiley face balloon. Go out and get it. Is it that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it can be. I mean, generally, there's enough prep time. There's enough uh, time to kind of like get all the basic things. And then there's all the last minute details that are It's kind of like being a magician and pulling a rabbit out of your hat sometimes, you know, like, what do you have? And what you generally have is what's on your truck that's part of your kit or things that have been pre-shopped or, you know, gotten in advance. And then there's always some wacky thing like, do you have a flea circus? And uh, <laughs> literally you have to, like, come up with something close to that or something in that realm of what they're looking for. And
0: Now, when you say kit, do you have a, something that you bring around with you that has um, certain items in it? Yeah, it
1: can be, you know, depending upon the situation, like in a still shoot situation, there's generally a van or, you know, a vehicle with, I don't know, a dozen or so crates of stuff, you know, gift wrap and... and uh, you name it, and um, on a bigger feature, then there's a huge trailer that's literally like a mini store with everything from table linens to silverware to guns to eyeglasses, and really depends upon what it is. And that's generally for props for set dressing. It's all you know brought in, and the sets are dressed, and you know.
0: Well, can you tell me what an art director does?
1: An art director generally. Um, is responsible for the wall. Like if you're going to build a set, they're responsible for the walls of the set, the textures, the colors, the um, the flooring, etc. And then the set decorator is kind of in certain realms, kind of equal to the art director, um, and they get all the stuff from the drapery to the lamps and furniture and and all the little things, etc.
0: How do these people work together? Now, do you have production meetings early on? Uh, to decide, like, different colors that you're going to use, different themes that are going to happen?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, generally, the production designer meets with the director and the producers, and then all the information gets filtered down then via the department, you know, in terms of the vision, the look, the time period, the, the, uh, the vibe of what you're trying to create. It really depends on the specifics of the script, the time period, and, and uh, that whole thing it's different it's so interesting because it's so different every single job
0: now jeffrey you are a multi-talented person and i want to know um (laughs) you have a lot of different interests i think and how did you come to this particular uh, profession at this particular time
1: to be honest i kind of fell ass backwards into it Mm -hmm. um i i really wanted to work in film and television since i was little and my sister and i have always had a fantasy about doing that and and uh, long story short, I came down to L.A. to go to a friend's wedding, and my dear friends introduced me to their brother who's a prop master, and he just happened to need a P.A. on his movie. This was like 12 years ago. And and uh, and I really needed to come to L.A. with a job sort of lined up, you know, in my mind to be sort of comfortable in making that move, so to speak. And it literally happened, and I started working as a, a P.A. to the prop department and the onset dresser on a movie and uh it just kept going from there. I have an art background and I was an art consultant for years, so you know, working in the visual medium was really um relatively easy because I already had experience in, you know, other worlds so to speak, and but then I was a huge, you know, film and TV buff and uh, you know, grew up watching the classics and a lot of cheesy television shows and, you know, all that stuff. And, and so for me, it was like a dream come true to work in the business and it just kind of kept going from there.
0: Now you are also um, a yoga instructor and also
1: a masseuse. I do um, time massage um, body work that sort of incorporates the healing work that I do anyway. And uh, you know, yoga and meditation and healing are all kind of, Coming into alignment via the the Thai massage, mm-hmm. and uh,
0: I see that's that's fascinating. Now, do you find that that work that you do as a masseuse and as a yoga instructor that that helps you in the field in, in filmmaking?
1: Absolutely. I don't think I could do it without it. It it can be such a crazy tornado of an environment to work in that. You know, having a, a center, having a sense of groundedness, has definitely helped me out. And uh, I, I, I would hope that it helps other people to kind of bring that energy to the table. You know, because it can be wonderful and challenging and creative, but it can also be very draining and exhausting and and fear based. You know, a lot of people work out their dramas on sets and stuff, and so uh, you know, having that sort of center of meditation and yoga absolutely helps me do my job better and I think it helps the people around me too. Do you find, we,
0: uh, talked last week with the, um, director and the cinematographer on the set of the movie that is doing, The Intervention, and, um, They were talking about how on a smaller budget movie, a lot of times they uh, work much more collaboratively. And uh, one of the actors was saying, you know, sometimes if they say, hey, you know, that sandbag needs to be moved over there, the the actor will pick it up and move it over there, which is very different from if you're working on a big studio movie. Do you find that there is a big pecking order on the movies that you work on? Do you find that everybody's very specific about their job? What is your experience?
1: I, I would totally agree with all of that and the best experiences I've ever had have always been on small budget um, more meaningful projects where there aren't there isn't a lot of money and there isn't a lot of pressure from the studios involved and and it's always that way I mean literally I'll be on one end of a piece of furniture and the director will be on the other end or the lead actor or whoever is standing close by. It's, it's much more like a family environment and I actually prefer it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also have to earn a living, so I have to do the bigger things too. And, uh, it's always amazing to me, um, how there are a lot of good things that happen, but the bigger the budget and the more, uh, Overscaled, it is, so to speak, then you just have like much larger egos and much larger bad behavior. And much like it, it sort of reminds me of like if you live in New York and you don't have a car, it's a much more human experience, your interaction with other people. In LA, when you're in your car, it's like much more separate and disconnected. And that sort of for me equates the like the low budget, more meaningful experience to the sort of bigger budget studio kind of experience. Can you tell us about some of your favorite movies that you've worked on? Ooh. Is that a tough one? It is a tough one. I think some of my favorite movies are ones I haven't worked on. Oh. Um, it, oh
0: yeah. What, sometimes what are...
1: it's really hard to watch something and enjoy it because <laughs> of what I know went into it. So it's, I think it's actually easier for me to watch something I have no involvement in at all, so I can just purely enjoy it and not think about all the details and not see all the flaws.
0: Do you, do so. <laughs> you find it easy to enjoy movies uh, in general, or do you sometimes look at a movie and say, I can't believe that they used that drapery in this particular time period, and I don't know why, you know, this is completely wrong. Do, do you do that, or do you find that you look at movies more technically than you used if, to when you were a kid? If
1: the story isn't interesting if the acting is not flowing then i start to notice all the details if the story is compelling and the acting is amazing then i can truly suspend uh you know suspend belief and really get into the whole thing and and let all those little things go but as soon as i uh, i mean sometimes a movie is wonderful just to watch for the visuals you know I mean, I don't speak Chinese, but I love the Chinese movies and, you know, one of my like all time favorites as of late was the Kung Fu Hustle. And it just blew my mind. And it wasn't so much about the story and the acting, which I thought was, you know, so campy and hilarious and funny and but just the way that they shot the movie and the and the visuals and the you know, there was one scene where where uh the whoever the martial artist is is like literally beheading creatures but you're only seeing the shadows of everything Mm -hmm. it was just so poetic and beautiful and wonderful and so yeah I mean generally I can suspend and get into it but Uh, I haven't uh,
0: seen that movie but I would like to see it oh
1: it's amazing Yeah, and House of Flying Daggers too it's just so beautiful it's gorgeous like visual poetry I mean really truly like you know if something got sliced or cut it was like a wave of a brush on canvas, it's so amazing, <laughs> so beautiful.
0: What draws you to work on a film? Do, um, a lot of people probably think I, I want to do what you do, and um, might not know how about how they can get a job doing what you do. Um, and then after a while, after you do it for a while, I'm sure you can choose, you know, do I want to work on this kind of... Do you, is there something where you say, uh, there? there's a movie that I would not work on. I would not work on a horror film, say. Or uh, I, I like to do films that um, have a positive social consciousness. Do you find that, that um, particular things draw you to a particular movie?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when I do have the choice, when I have the luxury of the choice, um, it's definitely... Via the yoga and the meditation and the yoga philosophy that I've learned over the last twelve years or so, it's it's really important to me in my life to try to put out good energy and try to um, you know to, to keep the ball rolling, so to speak, in a more positive direction. So I generally choose um, not to work on violent films, not to work on horror films. To look definitely for things that are more socially conscious and sort of. Um, you know, sort of propagating the, especially the female as a powerful um, goddess and in balance with the male instead of the sort of male-dominated, you know, sort of patriarchal thing that's been going on for so long. I'm definitely, um, you know, looking in that direction and, of course, like treating animals well and being conscious of the earth and big fan of The Inconvenient Truth, actually, to be honest. really blew me away and things like that that are really sort of well, like the uh, piece and, and Jean Marie's piece, the single woman, I'm so excited to work on that and mm-hmm. you know, and kind of in the in the capacity of production designer and, and um it's a really important story and, and it just literally blew my mind the script and, and uh you know the depth of the truth of this woman, you know. That was something
0: that I'll mention to uh, people that don't know out there. Kamala is going to be directing a movie called A Single Woman that's about the story of Jeanette Rankin. And uh, it is uh, really quite a piece. Um, Jean Marie Simpson, she's the artistic director at the Nevada Shakespeare Company. Um, She does this one-woman show about Jeanette Rankin, who I don't know if a lot of people know who she is. I certainly didn't until I saw her show. But Jeanette Rankin was the first woman in Congress... And she just happened to become the first woman in Congress at a time when they were voting on World War I. And she happened to be a pacifist. Uh, and so she felt it to be true to herself. She needed to vote against uh, getting into this war. And because of that, it caused a lot of trouble, uh, in particular with um, women's rights organizations who were like, you know, now you're in there, don't act like a pussy, you know? And she's like, well, I can't really—you know, I have to do what I, what my strong convictions are. And so it kind of—it caused her a lot of problems. And then she became, she got back in Congress years later, and it happened to be at the time when they were voting on World War II. And she had to vote against that also. And this is a person who just stuck to her convictions throughout her entire life. So it's a really, like, motivating
1: story. It's incredible that she, both times in being, like, the first U.S. Congresswoman and then her second term— The very first thing she has to vote on, like you said, was whether or not to go to war. So she was basically fucked from the get go.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that's really great. And then later on in her life, uh, and when she got older, she um, got involved in in protesting the Vietnam War. So uh, there's a a story that's just, you know, one of those things that just knocks you over. And the fact that she's not like a common household name is is really interesting, also. Um, So. You're going to be working on that in what capacity?
1: As a production designer, oh, great. Um, you know, working with uh, Jean-Marie and Cameron and Kamala to come up with, um, you know, inspiration and uh, you know, kind of look. Because the the most interesting thing about the script is that it literally uh, goes through. Th- 50 plus years of her life I could be wrong about that but literally like in looking at the props and looking at the set dressing and looking at the set that we're creating it literally has to span this whole time period and she's this person who traveled the world and had all these different experiences so there's going to have to be layers of uh, texture and flavor that are evocative of her experience and uh you know this is not an ordinary person there's many many layers to her personality and also to her to her home and
0: um, now you know this is a technical thing but there was um something that camilla was saying to me about how you were saying that you can go to a place and get like a set take it out it's like folded up like a picture book or something you can choose go through a bunch of them choose it and then put it into uh, you know a place where you're going to be shooting uh, Tell me about that. I don't know much about that.
1: Well, it's it's actually to be honest with with you, it's it's not something that I'm a pro at. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a new challenge. And um, generally, it's the art director who um, you know selects the set walls and and then you know the textures and the floor covering and all that kind of stuff. So it's really kind of exciting to do it. And and they had made a relationship with uh, a place where I could go and do that. So I went and pre-selected. Um, you know, enough set walls with windows, etc. front that had kind of the vibe of an older time period, you know, to kind of be basically create a large farmhouse kitchen that we're going to be able to do various activities within, you know, what the script calls for it. And- and so I pre-selected, and then Jean-Marie and Cameron went over and took a look, and I was just sort of holding my breath and crossing my fingers, <laughs> and and then they went, and they, they just loved what I had done, and I did a floor map and faxed it over there so they had an idea of where things were going, and uh, um, I, I'm totally not completely satisfied, I still have to tweak things, of course, but um, they were completely blown away and very happy, so... That was like (laughs) (laughs) step one, you know, and now we have to sort of start looking at, okay, now what's going to be our inspiration for, for instance, the color scheme on the inside and when I first met Jean-Marie, she had this beautiful blouse on that was kind of a lot of magentas and purples and, like, very feminine but very strong kind of colors. And literally it was like, you know what, your blouse is going to be the interior of the space. And everyone kind of liked that idea. And so that's going to be sort of the general color scheme. And, and then we have, like, various layers and textures of, like, um, rather than using wallpaper, we're going to we're going to sort of you know, paint and make it evocative of, like, the um, the Art Deco and Art Nouveau kind of vibe, um, kind of creating, an, like, sort of a dreamlike state, you know, because we go through so many different time periods, so um, that's wow. where we are so far.
0: That sounds great. It sounds uh, very... You know, the, you get your inspiration. Just Sometimes you get your inspiration from just, you know, hey, you're, you're, that shirt that you're wearing is fantastic. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I think uh, it's always a good idea to be open to inspiration wherever you are, you know.
1: Um, it can so be literally right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems sometimes when you battle and struggle with things, simply surrendering and then looking left or right, and generally there's like something right there that can also more easily facilitate what you're trying to do mm-hmm. does that make any sense it's at totally all makes, it's no it easy. totally
0: makes like no i think i think it is good i think <laughs> that i relate that to that kind of teaching is that sometimes you work so hard trying to come up with the perfect thing that you forget to open your eyes and look around you and it's all there and i try and do that as much as possible when i when i'm doing something that's maybe not work related and just off doing whatever uh, a lot of times you get inspired. I mean, there's, there's the thing about the scientist, and I, I don't know anything about this story, but basically there was some scientist who was grappling with something, and he just couldn't. He was in his, his study for you know, seven days and, and couldn't come up with the, the answer. And then you know, his wife was like, why don't you go take a bath? And he, he like, <laughs> was like, I don't have time. And he went and took a bath, and somehow he realized the answer to his problem from just the way the, the water rose when he sat in the bathtub now I don't know the actual story if anybody does maybe they can email it to me but I think that that's a good example of like sometimes when you just take a walk around the block you can clear your head and and maybe you'll see something that's inspiring or maybe you'll draw that to yourself and that's my yoga statement for the day excellent
1: <laughs> I think it's so often on set too like when you uh, you know it's such a collective effort you know it's never any one person's creation and I think a lot of times that's what people forget but you know, in that sort of collaborative process, magic happens. And it always does, and it's always there. But it's usually when you surrender to the process that you can really start to feel it and see it and allow it to take shape and allow it to sort of uh, inspire the situation.
0: Okay, so we're going to end on that note. Um, this is the section of the show where we do, do film bites, which is just a little piece of information uh, that you can give a first-time filmmaker out there. Um, that might help them along their journey. And if you'd like to give one, if you don't want to, I have one also.
1: You go first, because I remembered something, and then I'm I'm a little shy right now, so you That's go first. Great.
0: So uh, to break the ice, my uh, film bite is exactly what we were talking about. Just let go sometimes, and just allow the answer to come in. A lot of times on a set, like we, we were saying, is... Things are happening so fast that you you have no choice but to surrender and allow, you know, the first answer that comes into your head. Sometimes that is the answer. And other, a lot of times we'll get that answer and then we'll mull, mull it over, mull it over, and all of a sudden realize, oh, I had that answer already. And now okay, it's time I for would you. just
1: say that it, in, in the 12 years or so that I've been doing this, um, there's always sort of this Murphy's Law. Like the one thing that everyone's obsessing over finding and generally it doesn't exist so it actually would be something you'd have to create but there isn't enough money or time and so it's always that one thing that's the obsessive thing that they finally get that never ends up on film (laughs) it never ends up in the finished product well i shouldn't say never but it seems like it's just this ongoing murphy's law so, again, I think it's about surrendering <laughs> to the moment for sure. All
0: right, so we want to thank you, Jeffrey, for being on the show. Thank you right. for having me. And uh, we, if you want to email us, email us at joel at fatfreefilm.com or kamala at fatfreefilm.com. That's K-A-M-A-L-A. And uh, if you have any questions for Jeffrey, please email us there also. See you next week.